Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 206, We Owe Seth Some News, recorded September 20th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are you two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Well, hello, Mark, and welcome to the craziness that is our uh, not-functioning hardware. (laughs) Howdy, (laughs) folks. You're going to be so glad you tuned in this week. I got a feeling. Uh, all right, let's hope so. Um, you know, <laughs> can't get any worse. <laughs> I'm running with some new gear tonight, so um, if you're watching the video feed, which no one is, I can tell. There's a little counter down there that says zero, but some of you might watch a little later on. Um, I've got a new new monitor. That's all. Just added a monitor, but that threw everything into great uh contortions uh for some reason adding adding a monitor messed up my video camera messed up my usb settings and uh just generally screwed with my life because i plugged in an hdmi cable thank you computers i I don't even know who to blame for that is it linux mint's fault is it hp's fault for the crappy laptop i don't know but um (laughs) is it everyone's fault because darn it it's not mine well i mean i'm i'm willing to admit that it's my fault but i'm i'm kind of having a hard time finding how plugging in something to a port that's designed to plug something into is something I shouldn't do. <laughs> you get a point there. Um, but I am, uh, thanks to your donations uh, and, uh, of course, some love from our uh, friends at Linux Academy and DigitalOcean, I have a little extra money to uh, throw into some hardware. So I'm upgrading my uh, video rig. Um, the the all, Not all the components are in yet, So, but just for the moment, I just have a nice new monitor, virtu- uh, exactly, not virtually, but exactly doubling the amount of screen real estate I had. So that's awesome. Uh, and also now I'm not looking down uh, as much. I get to look up and kind of look toward the camera in a general direction. I don't know how people do that so that they're looking at the camera. Well, yeah, I do. They put the monitor behind the camera. Um, and I don't. I tried that, but I got to be able to see the monitor. So I don't know. I, I just don't have the money to do things really right because the you know I know the way the big guys do it. So they've got a, a long zoom camera mounted uh, with a tight shot, and they've got the monitors. Uh, pushed at a distance, but they're large monitors so that you can see from a distance. And so it looks like you're looking at the camera when you're looking at the monitor. I can't seem to figure out how to make that happen uh, where I'm not looking low and away or, or, you know, obvious that my eyes are moving from one thing to another. But baby steps. For now, I'm just getting, I bought a new a uh, small computer with a dual HDMI output, two 24-inch monitors. Uh, so I'll, and I'll in the future, I'll probably get a couple of different webcams, so I'll have different uh, angles. But the, my goal is of doing all of that is to really uh, beef up the video production of the show. I'll be able to do show web pages, show applications. So as we talk about a news article, I'll be able to incorporate it in the feed. Um, and you know, when I'm maybe doing a demonstration, or whatever, I have an over the shoulder camera for a phone or whatever. So that, that's my goal to, to really make the video part of the show, not just an afterthought, not just something we do for the fun of it, but an actual, uh, bit of, of production value. It was one of the Patreon goals that I promised you if we got to a certain point. We're not to that point, but I do have a little extra cash, thanks largely to Patreon and your continued generosity. So I'm giving back the money that you gave me as I promised 
five years ago that I would. Every I always said that whatever you give me goes back into the show, and so that's what I'm doing. And uh, I'm excited about new technology, but I'm also reminded of how much I hate new technology. <laughs> yeah, pretty much is guaranteed. No matter what happens, the second you throw something new into the works, everything will break. Yeah, everybody hates new technology, and we're technology lovers. Imagine how the rest of the world feels. Yeah, I'm online. I'm picking out components. I got this motherboard, this processor, this RAM. All right, I got to go to this case, make sure it's got the right form factor. Oh, I need to make sure that I'm like, God, no wonder people just buy whatever crap Dell and HP sell them. It's just, it's not yeah. worth all the hassle to, to do all that. You got to make sure that you got the right DDR3, 1330 nanos, whatever it is, RAM. You got to make sure you got the right socket for the motherboard. Yeah, or you can just, dude, you got a Dell and it's done. So people put up with mediocre garbage because it's easy. There's an easy button, mm -hmm. right? Or they pay a super high premium for the Mac stuff or, you know, some of the other, um, boutique brands because you know the it's easy and high end you know but if you want to go cheap you know it's it's high quality easy or cheap pick two yep it's usually how it works you can get high quality cheap but it ain't going to be easy you can get cheap and easy but it ain't going to be high quality so you know that's uh yep that's my <laughs> that's my rant tonight um at least the first one. Yeah. Uh, so there's something there's something more I want to go into a little bit later, but this is interesting. You are learning to code with your son or teaching your son to code. Which is it, Chris? A L little bit of both. Um, I I figured you know it's it's time for me to to dust off some of the old legacy stuff that I know and and up and update myself with some new you know and, and shiny HTML5 CSS and all that jazz. So I was working on going through the new changing for the CSS and how to get all that to work. And my son comes in and goes, what are you doing, dad? And I looked at him. I go, well, I'm learning a new language on how to do HTML. I figured it's time to upgrade to the newest stuff. And he goes, well, what are you doing? And he, I walked him through this, some of the basics of, well, if I do this and this and this, I can do this and showed him some basic, you know, hyperlinking and just some really basic stuff. And he looked at me and goes, dad, that's really cool. Can I learn it with you? And I said, sure. And the angels sang and the clouds parted. <laughs> but it was kind of no son, go moment. away. I'm working. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of stuff every dad wants to hear his son say. Yeah. It was kind of a neat moment. So we're going to, I have, uh, you know, I, I handed him a couple of different apps to put on his phone because he's a typical teen with his phone, you know, firmly attached to either his fingers and him, his head down at it or, yeah, it's firmly attached usually to anything. Um, and I went, here's some apps. We'll go through the basics. And then when we get, when you're done with this app, we'll start together at doing something together and I'll rent some server space and we'll have our own little website. He was like, can I do anything I want, dad? And I go, if you can think it, you can do it. <laughs> you just have to put the time in to figure it out. He went, oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, if you were going to rent some server space, where would you do that at, Chris? <laughs> well, I can tell you because one of the things that I'm doing, and part of the the upgrades that I'm doing, is uh, I'm upgrading our website as well. I, I've not frequently, but occasionally, I get uh, messages from people saying uh, had a hard time downloading the show. It w went really slow and then died out or whatever. Uh, and uh, invariably, uh, those messages come from Great Britain. I don't know why from from the UK. Hmm. Um, so 
uh, plus, you know, I've I've outgrown uh, general shared hosting. Uh, we're we're pushing you know terabytes of data every month, and they haven't said anything yet, but they're going to in the near future. So, uh, what I decided to do is is take advantage of uh, our relationship with DigitalOcean and use one of their um, SSD uh, based gigabit to the internet uh, servers. And set one up, and uh, let me tell you a little about, bit about them while I'm talking about. It. Then I'll continue my story. So they're they're virtual hosted servers. So it's not quite the same as buying a server in the cloud, but it's certainly way better than shared hosting, where you share somebody else's virtual server. You get your own slice of a KVM, which is near hardware performance, um, and it's it, it really is the the middle ground. If you're running, um, you know, if you're running Amazon.com or something like that, or even you know a, a really uh, big successful thing, you you can't do that on virtual hosting you got to have you got to buy some hardware but um if you're doing anything more than just a basic blog you really need more than shared hosting can provide so uh digital ocean is right in the middle there with virtual servers and everything they've got is uh, fully ssd baited, uh, uh based uh, so it's lightning fast the hex core machines with ecc ram uh you can spin up a droplet they that's what they call their virtual machines in less than a minute literally 50 seconds uh everybody gets a gigabit of space you got you can get private networking if you want um, IPv6 support. And there's an API if you're a developer and you're just looking for a place to to store your stuff. Uh, they they do that. You don't actually have to interface with the server. Uh, one click applications for Drupal, OwnCloud, WordPress, whatever else you could think of. They're all out there, and, and they cost the cost is quite reasonable. So the uh, the sort of the base model, I would say, uh, for ten dollars a month, you get a gig of RAM, a core processor, a thirty gig SSD, and, a, and two terabytes per month of transfer. Two terabytes a month is a lot. I mean, we're uh, we're pushing close to that with with thousands of listeners. Um, and four shows a month, but uh, you know that's just for ten dollars a month, and I'm paying a, a bit more, a good bit more actually, uh, than two, uh, ten dollars a month for my shared hosting now. That promises "quote unquote" unlimited bandwidth, but you know when you start testing the unlimited thing, <laughs> uh, they they that's suddenly when things start to slow down or they start throttling your CPU or things like that because you're not being a good digital neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to have that problem with a virtual server. But, you know, you go on up, the $20 a month one is 2 gigs of RAM, a dual-core processor, 40 gigs uh, of SSD space, 3 terabytes a month of transfer. That's sort of the sweet spot for where I am. So that's what I'm looking at doing. Of course, you can go all the way up to their professional core. But if you really just want to try it out, 5 bucks a month. Um, and that's uh, – a month really isn't um, – the right way to look at it. It's not. It's not every month they charge you five dollars. It's five five dollars per thirty days of uptime. So mm-hmm. if you fire up your server for an hour, turn it off. Fire it up again for an hour, turn it off. That five dollars per month could last you a year because it's it's a month of uptime. It's a month of cycles running. Um, I've tested oh. that by doing that very thing, uh, spinning up a machine, running it for a while, spinning it down. And there's a little clock on the dashboard that tells you how many minutes that you have used. And I've had my account for well over a month, but I haven't even reached a month yet because I spin it up. I do what I need to. It's it right now. I'm just experimenting, playing with it. And then I spin it back down. So it's not running anymore. So it really, uh, $5 a month is really uh, a misnomer because you can make $5 last a lot longer. Uh, but uh, DigitalOcean is is so secure in their product that if you go there and you use the code Everyday Linux or go to our website elementopi.com and just click one of the DigitalOcean links there, you get a ten dollar credit for free. So if you're just playing around, that ten dollar credit will last you months 
But if you buy the yep. the five dollar a month thing, you got two months of you know a, a low end server to play with, or a full month of a pretty decent uh, server to play with. So. DigitalOcean.com. Use the code Everyday Linux when you go there. Check them out. I believe in them so much that I'm using them. Um, so there you go. There's one ad right off really, the bat. And you can't, you know, if if we're using, or at least if Mark's using it, you know, it's at least worth something. So one of the problems, though, with DigitalOcean, and, and I, it's not them. It's shared uh, virtual hosting in general like that. Uh, and I looked. I looked all over the place. I looked at their competitors. Sorry, guys. I did. Um, but in, in virtual storage, it, the, the limitation is almost always, uh, storage on virtual servers like that. So the, you know, 30 gigs a month or 30 gigs of, of data space is, is fine if you're not storing, but, but we have a 27 gig back catalog of shows that I counted. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. 27.7 gigs. So we're adding to that. So 30 gigs would last me a while. But it's it's not a long term solution. So what I'm doing is pairing that with uh, Amazon S3. So also because oh, I yeah. don't I don't want to touch my terabyte of transfer. You know I don't I don't want to depend on that because we we routinely do a terabyte or more a month on, on my server now. And if I buy the ten dollar one that only gets ten uh, terabytes uh, two terabytes, they do you know it's like anything else. There's an overage fee, and it's not unreasonable. But I I, I want to be a good digital citizen. So what I'm doing is I'm building my server on uh, DigitalOcean and building a bucket on Amazon's S3 service, which is uh, you know not dirt cheap, but certainly cheap enough. So in the future, uh, I, I can't tell you when this is going to happen because I'm doing everything behind the scenes first i'm just going to port the existing site over and then i'm going to really work on the site before i spin up a new server but we'll be serving our stuff straight from amazon s3 uh, data center so you folks that are having trouble downloading stuff or experiencing performance issues that should not be a problem anymore Um, very cool that's one of the that's one of the long-term goals that i'm doing with your money um and you know and this I might as well go on to the point and we'll tell you, you know, go to elementopi.com slash Patreon or go to patreon.com slash elementopi, whichever you like to do that, wherever you want to put your slash. Um, and, you know, if you guys, you know, you want to support the show, this is literally direct support. So you can say, I want to, you know, I want to pledge a buck a, a show or 50 cents a show or, you know, a mm-hmm. penny a show. What? There's two twofold for that. One, it's nice to see people there. It's just to, to, to see the numbers, right? I get download numbers, but I, who knows how many of those are bots or how many is, is one person downloading on two different mobile devices and the, and the workstation. I, I don't really know what any of that means, but if you go to patreon.com, I know that you're a person. And that you're not only are you a person, but you're a person who is who wants to support me to some degree. So I, I really encourage you to do that because I'm taking that money that you give me, and I'm not just you know buying toys with it. I'm spending that on the show. So if you want the show to get better, um, you can go to Patreon.com and kick me some money there, and and you will be my boss. At that point, you have a stake in the show, and you can give me orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, depending on how much you give me, I may or may not follow them. But if you pledge $200 a show, I'm going to say yes, sir, to just about anything you might want to say. <laughs> and, you know, and that, but not just on, on that. You know, yes, the, the money that they do donate does go towards the show and it does everything, all the greatness of, of our rigs and, and mics and sounds and videos and whatnot. But we also donate some of it to back to open source or charity organizations that we choose. Uh, yeah, and I've been very delinquent in keeping you guys up to date on that. And Chris is sort of our... Our conscience, our Jiminy Cricket on the show. He on the on the back end. He'll say, "Hey, you guys, you haven't mentioned that." Uh, and we keep a spreadsheet 
where I'm supposed to be filling it in every month, and and I don't uh-huh. do that. I'm really terrible at it. So I will tell you that um, because of some a combination of bookkeeping stuff and me just forgetting to, I went about three months and I didn't donate anything to anybody. So last month. I gave a a big chunk of change, equivalent of about five months worth of your uh, donations to uh, the EFF, and I figure it, it, as much as I don't like some of the things that they they stand for, there's no better uh, advocate for the rights of the the internet citizen, not just the American citizen, but the internet citizen than the EFF. So you, through me, gave them a fairly sizable donation recently. Which is awesome. And, you know, any of the charities that we donate to, I wish we got some feedback from them, but obviously they couldn't give everyone feedback. But I think that's a, a charity that is a great one. Uh, the other ones I would definitely say that we should put on our list is like Extra Life um, or one up for the, what is it, uh, Play for Kids or anyway, there's a couple of them that I think we should put on the list for sure. Well, you've got access to the spreadsheet. Put them on there. Oh, yeah. I um, so what I what I do is uh like for example Amazon if you go to elementopi.com slash Amazon and make a purchase there uh, Amazon is two months behind in the dispersals so uh, in at the end of September I will get the July stuff and the reason they do that is so that you can't game the system by buying a bunch of stuff me getting a check for it and then you return everything so they they let all they make sure that all the returns are are in and all the the you know the money back uh, 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 trials are over or at least mostly and then they disperse the funds. So I don't it's not a it's not a month for month thing. Uh, so Patreon pays at the end of the month and you guys who who have donated through uh, PayPal uh, pay at the at uh, the regular interval one month you know whatever date you initially did it uh, DigitalOcean and and Linux Academy all of those things come in at a regular thing but Amazon is always way behind so what I do is I wait until I get that month's in and then I donate so we're months behind always you know at least two months behind so I don't know who I'm going to give money to for September yet even though it's the end of September it'll be uh, November before I know how much is 10%. So just, mm-hmm. just uh, that's how that works. And so if you go on a, a Christmas buying st- spree at elementopi.com slash Amazon, and I get thousands of dollars worth of, of referral fees there, that won't go anywhere until February. So, but I do, I do keep up with it, uh, <laughs> especially when Chris pokes me in the ribs and tells me I need to. <laughs> uh, but... You mean the, the the public thrashing, you know the the yes, <laughs> and then I mean I, that's good. I I intend to do that, but I'm known to be the guy who intends to do things and doesn't always follow through. Sorry about that, but uh, mm. at least I'm self aware enough to know that it happens. Well, and that's why people like me exist. We could poke yes. you and say, hey, hey, did we forget? <laughs> and speaking of poking, you got poked by a bunch of little needles recently. I did. I did. Um, and matter of fact, it's, it's a little rod and, and sore still, but I went up and got another, my, another tattoo. Um, for those that are counting, that makes, uh, what? Two, four, six ish. Yeah, six ish <laughs> tattoos now that I have from, uh, from the years. But this one is a special one for me. It, it kind of rounds out what I was planning on doing 15 years ago when I got my first one. So, um, if you guys are following me on Google Plus or, um, or whatever. I, I'm going to be putting them all up. I have, I'll, they'll be on my Twitter feed probably by tonight. Um, the before, the, the during and the aftermath of the three and a half hours, but, uh, it was well worth it. But yeah, it's <laughs> nice, 
nice and black and blue and pretty and a little sore. <laughs> More power to you, but that's never been anything that appeals to me even a little bit. See, and that's the funny thing is I'm, I'll be doing, if money's no object and it's just my pain threshold, I would be a suited person. I would have tattoos from top to bottom, but money is an issue, and so I have to wait until I have the money up for them. Yeah, those but things aren't cheap. And that, that's, no. that's actually the primary reason I don't have any tattoos is that I'm a tightwad first. Um, mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, I've, I've said that before on the show. Number one, they're expensive. And number two, I haven't thought of anything so cool I want to live with it for the rest of my life. Yeah, most of mine are all done because of life-changing events. I've got a buddy who's got mine. a photorealistic picture of his mom on his left calf. And he is yep. he's a self-admitted proud mama's boy. And, uh, well, and he, uh, he's, he's got his, his mom has passed on, but it was like, I, I'm guessing somewhere around her, her high school yearbook photo, something like that. So it's definitely younger in her life. And it, uh, it definitely is, you know, like a forties, fifty style hairdo and, and clothing that she's got on, but he's got a big giant tattoo of his mom on his thigh. I think, okay, if, if you have that kind of relationship with your mother and you want her, you know, looking up at your junk for the rest of your life, then, <laughs> then, uh, you know, why not? But it just is not for me. Yeah, everyone's got their own thing, you know, and you like to build weird coffee extraction machines. <laughs> yes, I do. I like to put ink on my body, so we all have our own little strangeness about us. <laughs> While I was packing up some old files and moving them up to S3, I realized that the Coffee Talk episode that we did was two years ago, almost to the day. So uh, I haven't I haven't done any significant updates to either my process or telling you about it in two years. So I guess I, you'd say I'm pretty stable in it. Yeah, uh, two years of of having no big blowouts or anything. I'd say you're doing yeah. great. And I've just been experimenting with larger and larger batches, uh, largely because my wife and I are so addicted to it. We're consuming larger batches, so we, you know, I'm feeding my own <laughs> habit first. <laughs> well, that's a good sign. That means you yes. found something that's a winner. And also experimenting with storage. I talked before about uh, you know the bottles versus the plastic, and um, I'm experimenting with freezing now to see what that does. Does it damage it? Does it help it? Um, you know, and I'll report all back that stuff back. But these are the things that since I only make it once a month, and if I'm testing storage, I want to store some for five months. You know, it takes a while for me to report back because I don't know yet myself. Sure. Right now, when, when you throw them in the uh, in the bottles, have you been Doing the difference between clear bottles versus cloud, uh, dark bottles? I, I just don't think that's an issue because I keep them in a dark fridge. If I stored them on a shelf somewhere, I could see why that would matter. But okay. I just, I, I don't, no, I haven't tested it because I just, I don't really see what the point would be. Because they're, they're cold and dark, except when I open them out, pour some, and then put it back in. Yeah. I'd just be curious because, you know, we were, I was talking with somebody about the difference between coffee and brewing. And it'd be interesting to see if there is a difference between a coffee brew and a and then just a, a craft beer brew. Well, one of the primary differences, and 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 I get feedback from this all the time. People, uh, you know, talk about you know I've, I've I've said I use the plastic buckets, and and one of the questions I get all the time is how do you handle bacteria growth in that? And so what you got to understand is in beer uh, or wine, you are actively trying to get something to live and grow. Um, yep. So you keep it at the right temperature, the right salinity, the right acidity. And then in the case of both beer and wine, eventually they puke and fart enough that they make so much alcohol that they kill themselves. 
uh, and then you right. strain them out and go. I am actively trying to keep things from going. I want only chemical processes, no biological processes. So my coffee stays cold all the time. It stays dark all the time. So bacteria is not really an issue for me because it never it, the, the conditions are never right for it. So I'm not saying that my coffee is sterile, but certainly sanitation is less of an issue for me. I don't have to bleach everything and throw something out when there when there's a scrape in the plastic because the conditions in which I keep it are as a byproduct not appropriate for microbial life. That's not what I'm going for. Uh, I'm going for the mm-hmm. chemical processes, but as a byproduct of that, bacteria can't live in it. Exactly. And that that is a big difference. You don't want growth where wine and beer people do so yeah seth say something something okay good. sorry thank you not a <laughs> <laughs> you know i i don't brew coffee i don't like tattoo i i actually i despise the taste of coffee and i yeah, don't really care much for tattoos coffee. so yeah seth tried even some of my coffee and he was polite enough not to spit it on my table but that well, it was nice that close it. Yeah, it, you know, and honestly, I, you know, I would probably be in the same boat. I, uh, I've tried every kind of coffee, every way: hot, cold, cold that was in hot, hot that was in cold, flavored coffee, coffee you add flavor to with cream, with cream substitute, with sugar, without sugar, with artificial sweetener, and the one common denominator across every type of coffee I t- tried was the putrid taste. So. It tastes like coffee. Yeah, and yep. so even even my coffee that doesn't have the acid and doesn't have the bitter, it still tastes like coffee, and he couldn't handle that. And and that okay. I mean, if you don't like coffee, you don't like coffee, right? But me, I like coffee. Yeah. I just don't like the acids and the bitters in coffee, right? Yeah, but I have become a semi regular person at Starbucks because people at my church love, for whatever reason, they love coffee, and so I buy the pods for the uh, the Keurig one point I. I will, and I don't buy them from Keurig because I won't ever buy another Keurig. <laughs> but, um, because they, yeah, so DMR their coffee. Yeah. They just, they went and did something that I consider stupid and petty. And so if they want stupid and petty, I can be as stupid yeah. and petty as the, you want it, you got people. it. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, even though I, I have, um, I have like buy one, get one free offers waiting for me at Keurig.com that I will not use. Um, because it would come from them. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's the way it works. So, let's move on to our listener feedback. So, I have two pieces tonight. Uh, one from Jeff, uh, which uh, he let me know that the leave us a voicemail widget on the website no longer works, and so I went and and tried to figure out what the deal was, and Google just quietly pulled that feature. Um, so, no longer oh, really? works. Yeah. So huh. it's, it's of course they did mention it like in paragraph seven of a blog post. So it's not like it was a secret, uh, but they certainly it was a Yeah. It was a quiet release of that te- functionality, yeah. unlike what they did to Buzz or some of the other technologies they've just shut down, like Google Reader. Yeah. Darn you, Google. So Google Voice is really, it's their whipping boy now. They, I'm, it, there's still a, a lot there, uh, but they're not pushing it anymore, and, and it won't surprise me if they make it go away. Like for example, if you if to do the new uh, the Wi-Fi thing, Google Fi is that what it's called? Google Fi uh, fee. Okay, whatever. I think it's fee. Um, yeah, if but, you okay. use that, you uh, um, you lose your regular Google Voice account. Uh, if you con- uh, convert to uh, Hangouts, you lose 
you keep their number, but your Google Voice account isn't anymore. So they're going to stay in telephony, I think, but they're trying to kill Google Voice entirely. And my new setup, my motion sensor light no longer senses me as well as it did. So I keep waving at it. If you're watching, that's what that is. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's one of those things that um, they bought a company. They never really did much with it. And now they're killing it. That's so Google or uh, Alphabet. Which that's a very is, Alphabet thing to do. Yep. Uh, yeah, that that makes it hard for me to remember that they're now considered Alphabet, not Google. Yes. So anyway, because Jeff couldn't leave me a voicemail, he reached out on Google Plus. He reached out a, a corporate speak. I did it. He contacted ah. me via Google Plus, and he said, if Linux is more appropriately called GNU slash Linux, and if Android is Linux, then is Android more properly called GNU slash Linux, or is the GNU part of uh, not actually included in Android? Just wondering. Thanks. Um, that's hmm. a great question. There is very little, if any, GNU in Android. Yeah. Um, very, very stripped out, I would say. Yeah. And for the same reason that we don't call Android Linux, we call it Android, makes me, as much as I hate to agree with Stallman, makes me think that he has a point and that we should call GNU GNU, right? Because the 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 Android and and Linux is an excellent comparison to GNU and Linux. Um, Linux is the engine on which Android runs, but all the user facing stuff is Android. Well, in or certainly in early days, Linux was the engine on which GNU run, but all the user facing stuff was GNU. That's not so much anymore. But darn it, the guy has a point, and you pointed it out, Jeff. Yeah, I'm for one, Mark, I'm glad we decided to circle back around and address this Thank topic you. again. Um, but you know, I think in much the same way, if you listen to music today, it's so and so featuring so and so and somebody else guest featured on the song. You know, it's like Android featuring GNU slash Linux. Yeah. So that, that, that would, I think, be the correct technical way to say it. Yeah. And, and it's, I've, I've, I've ridiculed GNU slash Linux over the years, uh, saying that, you know, uh, um, Stallman likes to say we had everything but a kernel and I like to say yeah that means you had everything but an engine in your car that's a pretty important thing <laughs> right pretty but much if you drop a Ford engine in a Chevy does it stop being a Chevy or is it still a Chevy with a Ford engine so if you drop a GNU if you drop a Linux kernel in GNU does it stop being GNU I think I'm starting to agree with Stallman oh my gosh it's kind of <gasps> Oh, my God. All right, everyone, mark it on the calendar. The world is going to end tomorrow because Mark agrees with Stallman. I still refuse to call it GNU slash Linux, <laughs> but darned if I can't see his point now. Thank you, Jeff, for pointing that out. You've, you've, you've called me a hypocrite happen. in front of everybody, and, and you're right. So, no, yep. Android is not GNU, but it's also not Linux. So, Mint, we can't call it Linux either. It's Mint, or Ubuntu, mm -hmm. or Fedora. Ugh, that hurts me. That pains me to say that. So it's like the said, GNU slash Linux Fedora now? Well, That's it's... getting a lot to say. Fedora, for example, still has a lot of GNU in it. Um, yep, right. But, um, say, Arch, for example, has a lot less. Uh, and there, it is possible to have Linux with no GNU in it. Um, so, you know, it's... GNU doesn't necessarily mean Linux, but Linux certainly doesn't necessarily mean GNU either. Yeah. Interesting. 
It's a great thought process that we just stumbled down, didn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? So, uh, Jeff, it's all your fault. Uh, and the next one, Darn it. and I'm not going to read his email because it was it was an email to me personally, and and he didn't say that he wanted it on the air. But Dave um, emailed me about my characterization of seventies seven eves having uh, turned into fantasy, um, and I, I can't really address it really well without some spoilers. So, spoiler alert: um, the next five minutes of this show. Uh, there will be spoilers, uh, so prepare yourselves. Um, stop the stop the thing now if you haven't read Seven Eves and don't want to be spoiled. Uh, guys, are you okay if if I make a few broad based spoilers for about that book? That's uh, fine. Yeah, I'm okay. not worried about it. All right. So, in the third movement, the third part of Seven Eves, you're 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 five thousand years plus in the future of the first two parts, and a group of people are gathered that represent varied walks of life and varied physical attributes to the point you have an elderly guy who might as well be Gandalf and you have a giant and you even have a freaking changeling. Um, and they all go on a quest and along the way they meet, um, subterranean dwarves and they go to meet the people of the sea. How is that not fantasy? Now it may be in the context of in the future, and there's there's some science tech in there, but that screams a fantasy to me. Um, okay, spoilers over. Uh, you're not listening to this; you don't know that. But that's all the spoiler I'm going to do. But uh, in my conversation with with Dave, he, he one of the things he said is, "Do you consider Star Wars fantasy, or or what about Star Trek? Um, Star Trek post 1960s Star Trek, a case could be made for for 1960s Star Trek as being fantasy, but post 1960s definitely not fantasy. Star Wars absolutely fantasy. Yep. Um so that that b- sort of breeds the question, what is fantasy? Um and what is science fiction? Is it is it science fiction if it's a fiction story that happens to be in the future? Well, the other thing you could also look at besides that question mark, what about if you go the other way? Could it be fiction but then because science has improved could go into then sci-fi. Right. And does does fantasy have to have lizard uh, uh dragons and and wizards and swords? Or can it be fant- uh, you know uh you, uh, you could mm-hmm. say that Star Wars has those things. It has swords and dragons, um uh the thing that tried to eat the Millennium Falcon and wizards. What the heck are Jedi if they're not wizards? So it has exactly. all the classic fantasy stuff. Um uh, and it's not even in the future. It's in the past. So um it, it's interesting that I, I say I don't like fantasy, yet I very much like the original Star Wars franchise. So how how can I say I don't like fantasy if that's one of my favorites? Let me ask you, say, Mark, the time machine. Uh, H.G. Wells? Yes, H.G. Uh, Wells. Because what you just described, uh, by your description, it's fantasy and not science fiction. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Is it? I mean, the only thing fiction about it is the time machine. Everything else is pretty much fair, firmly in the realm of fantasy, right? You meet you meet people under the ground. They've they're they're not really human anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that. While it's considered classic sci-fi, I don't I don't really see you take out the time machine element of it and say a wizard transported them. It's it's fully fantasy. Yeah, and do I you think like that line that? is a very um, not particularly. I actually, I no. didn't. I I don't consider Wells to be one of my favorite authors. 
I just, I, I know I can be stoned in some circles for having said that, but I am just, I've never been really impressed with this stuff because it doesn't fit what I enjoy. Sure. And that's everyone. I mean, that's your, and that's your prerogative, but I think I would say you can't say you dislike fantasy. I think you can go, you dislike the sword and sorcery fantasies. Right. Um, you know, going way back, time bandits. Right? What is that? Is that sci-fi or is that fantasy? That's that's firmly in the realm of fantasy as far as I'm concerned because it's literally God doing the work. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Time bandits. Love that movie. Uh, but you you have dwarves <laughs> and you have sorcerers and you have time travel. Um, so it's it's fascinating to me that that we we seem to have these understandings of what is sci-fi, what is fantasy, but. I don't know that we actually do. Well, or it comes blurs. down more to preference than any hard and fast definition. Okay, one of the greatest B movies ever made: Ice Pirates. Science fiction or fantasy? See, I call that one science fiction, but maybe I shouldn't. But no, that's I would say that's more along the lines of fantasy than than science fiction than sci-fi. Yeah. So okay, let's go more recent: uh, Interstellar. Is that science fiction or is it fantasy? Um, well, according to um, who's the the famous science guy now? Sagan? Oh, Neil? No, Neil Tyson? Yeah, he calls it science fiction. So yeah, well there there is fiction and there is science, but and I won't spoil that one because it's still relatively recent. Large chunks of that definitely seem very much fantasy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I, I don't know. I, I used to think that I knew what science fiction was. Now I don't think it's I do anymore, thanks to my conversation with Dave. <laughs> so now you're now you're agreeing with Stallman. You're changing your views on books. What is going on, Mark? You're gonna kill us. The whole world is gonna end. I it, I'm not saying that I well, it's just that I used to think I knew what I liked. And now I still know what I like. I just don't know what to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Darn you, Internet. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, oh, awesome. labels Labels are important because, as I was talking about in last week's show, which I've there's been an amazing dearth of feedback on. Apparently, nobody cares about me, and that's fine. There's no reason you should. It just made me chuckle a little bit. But anyway, um, I talked about the, the communication aspect, right? And so labels are important in that way because if I call a novel science fiction, we all need to agree what that is. So that you know what kind of novel I'm talking about. Sure. But now as I as I get more into this world of, of different that genre of literature, right, I'm realizing that it it's 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 so nebulous, it's so broad, sci fi really doesn't mean anything. Um Well, I think you could almost put I think the argument can be made that sci that sci fi has a difference between hard science fiction and then science fantasy yeah so what what role does science have to play in the fiction before it's science fiction i would say the martian would be more science fiction than science fantasy so i robot isaac asimov science fiction or just fiction that happens to be in the future i would say fiction that happens to be in the future seth what do you think Hmm. either one (laughs) either the original or the bastardized will smith version which was still enjoyable but it was so not true to the book well, I mean, they don't know how. 
uh, you know, in one way, that's I'm kind of dreading The Martian because they don't know how to make a movie about a book anymore. They make a movie about a book title. So yes. I would say, golly, because that the original is considered sci- so science fiction, but our definition of science has been raised so high that oh. stuff that used to be well exactly over the bar of science fiction now you call it science haha ha, that's fantasy so what was science is now fantasy i i like where you're going right. with that and that may so, be my hg wells issue right because yeah. war of the worlds was this classic science fiction but so much of his science is utterly wrong in that right that it can only be considered fantasy right mm-hmm. so and but, i robot even, uh the day the earth stood still um we wouldn't call that original one science fiction we would call it just fiction uh, today so i think maybe we've raised the bar on science and there needs to be a quasi fiction based on science as opposed to science fiction i don't know um that, this is a this is a darn weird discussion we wandered into <laughs> <laughs> but i think my original point where you can have something that was science fantasy turn into science fiction and then could turn into you know, science fact with the Martian, because that could happen yeah. soon, right? So but yeah, it's uh, interesting how books can change that way. In in particular, the Martian, the only bit of science that is not real science is the spacesuit design. Um, right. There, uh, under current spacesuit, the top of the line spacesuits take at least two people to get into and out of, maybe three. Right. Um, and he right. does many EVAs. Uh, throughout the book and, and seven eves as well uh you know that one of the crucial plot lines of that movie is people in and out of spacesuits all the time and um that science doesn't exist but in the martian in particular everything else is there we could do yeah. everything that he talks about and if we you know some really smart guys spent a few months they could make a spacesuit we could get into and out of so yeah the martian um is is entirely possible um so is it it's fiction because it didn't happen but is it really sci-fi if you use only current stuff and you're not fictionalizing the science? Does does sci-fi have to be that you're fictionalizing the science? Maybe that's what we're getting onto, right? So you have yeah. to in, you have to have some scientific thing that doesn't exist. You fictionalize the science, therefore it's sci-fi. Yeah, there's science fiction, and then there's science fiction. So you just <laughs> you know where do you place the emphasis uh, and, <laughs> on what side? And that, yeah, and that will determine what you have. Uh, it's it's just a fascinating discussion to me uh, and maybe only me maybe nobody else cares but um these things these are interesting to me because we we live in a in a world where science fiction is becoming fact every day right and and without the fiction without the imagining of science there would be no science fact because you have to imagine exactly. it before you can create it or discover it uh so the the two things are so interrelated that um I don't know that you can can say that this is fiction and this is not. Fiction just means it hasn't happened, right? But there's there's historical fiction. So we okay, let's go with that. We make a distinction <laughs> with historical fiction. So like with the book, uh, um, uh, where uh, Killer Angels that I told you I, ju- I just read recently, it is fiction about Gettysburg um, and the battle that took place there. Everything that happened, all of those events actually happened. All of the dialogue and motivations are fiction. So it's it's historical fiction. So how about so the Martian? I think is future fiction, 
because all the events didn't really happen, but all of the science and the, and the possibilities are there. So, you sure. know, there's, it's a different thing. Um, it's science fiction instead of historical fiction. So it's fiction about real science. So maybe that's the definition of science fiction. It's in the same way that historical fiction is fiction about real history. Science fiction is fiction about real science. And then everything else is fantasy. Yeah, because it hasn't in, happened yet. In the original Star Trek, that handheld communicator, that was pure science fiction. Exactly. And, and now, but yet they've I made mean, it. what, you have to flip open your phone? Come right. on. So, and, and because of that fiction, somebody made the fact, right? right. The, mm-hmm. the, the guy at Motorola who invented the flip phone did so because he wanted to be like Kirk. Yep. Um, who didn't want to be like Kirk, though? Come on. Well, yeah, I mean, he got all the babes. <laughs> See? Yep. Um, he had a great hairpiece. <laughs> okay, we we got to move on because, holy crap ton, we got a bunch of news there. Um, uh, we're, there's no way we're going to be able to do all of those. Uh, but we'll go back and look at some of the older stuff because we've been sliding Seth news uh, for weeks now. He goes out and he diligently does his research, and then I mercifully cross them off the show <laughs> as we're going. So yeah, and I, I don't care for the coffee or the tattoos, so I'm really left silent most of the show. <laughs> so started off, uh, a laser pointer can cause your self-driving car to crash. That's not good news. Yeah, this is, um, come on, internet, come back. Oh, I hate the stupid ad pop up. <laughs> Darn you. God, I haven't I love my story in a while. So, okay, yeah, here you, if you have $60, you can trick the LiDAR system of a car to either not go or stop. So in the future of driverless cars where it navigates with, you know, LiDAR and GPS and stuff, you know, if somebody wanted to stop you, you just take a laser pointer, you point it at it, it confuses the LiDAR, and it shuts down the middle of traffic. You won't cause a wreck because the other, all the other driverless cars will shut down too, but you've created a traffic grid that strip, spreads across the nation because all the driverless cars stop um, just because somebody used a laser pointer. And, uh, you know, and of course, I know by the time these things get widespread and adopted, stuff like this will hopefully, I used to say it would have been, fix but these days i don't know so um you just have to be careful you know and we it's nothing we haven't talked about a lot on the show hey look they're doing it i want something that does it too and anybody who says something bad is going to be updating their linkedin profile looking for a job now what are the issues right and the issues are i think it's going to cost 25 dollars instead of 20 and he's like you're out of here who can do it for 15 but what's interesting about this is is if this this trend uh continues what you'll see I think is um uh lasers that I you know I use one at work every day well not every day but I carry one every day at work uh for training purposes is going to be considered a police only thing cuz it's the sure. only way to stop these driverless cars these merciful merciless driverless cars <laughs> lasers have to be a restricted product now yeah, oh, and of goodness. course, once we make it illegal to have them, that will uh, nobody will have them because, especially here in America, we are world renowned for our desire to submit to every law, regardless of how tedious or stupid or asinine it would appear to be. It works so right? well with drugs. I mean, as soon as yeah. you uh, outlaw drugs, they all went away. So yeah. yeah, and all all of the shootings in America have been because it was legal what they did was legal to begin with right so uh yeah sorry uh coming next week on everyday politics but what's what's interesting is how do you 
how do you do that? So their their lidar systems. Uh, so lidar is like radar, but with lasers. So it, right, it sends right. out lasers. The lasers bounce off of things, and then it uses those bouncing lasers to determine where something is. Well, if you direct a laser at it, so it'll have to be like encrypted lasers on a particular frequency. That would fix that. So wow. if you have a randomly generated frequency of lasers that you pulse out, which is easy enough to do. Uh, and you only respond to that same random frequency, um, that could beat that. So, you know, a little bit of coding and a, and a couple of dollars worth of chips could fix that. But nobody thought about it. And uh, I wouldn't have. Right. So, and, and, you know, and this is just one of many stories about well, how would easy you? it is apparently to hack cars. So, yeah, it's, that, a, gr- it's a great new world. That That seems to be the favorite thing these days. Um is attacking cars because cars are becoming more computers and as as we've lamented many times on this show you first figure out if you can do it then you start selling it then you worry about securing it right Uh, not not the best way to do things but it is the american way (laughs) it seems to be the current way at least for sure yeah yep all right moving on uh google (laughs) google has decided the big one has come and california is now under the sea Yes, and of course, I believe it has been fixed now, but um, they showed like the first few blocks of the beach in Los Angeles underwater. And of course, you know, this story was, you know, is this a thing on climate change or was it just (laughs) Google saying, uh, you know, misinterpreting the GPS and data? Because, yeah, otherwise, you know, the ocean has crept in a few blocks and now all of a sudden real estate in california becomes a lot pricier because there's a lot less of it so um yeah and it's weird because if you go to the google earth view it shows the beach and the traffic but then when you switch to the map view it shows it underwater so um and again i you know this story is like two weeks old and it was supposedly fixed by now but it was just kind of a neat story that hey you know because we bashed apple whenever their maps thing in ios you know a trip from you know from dallas to fort worth would take you by way of canada if you tried to use apple maps to do it um you know google apparently isn't perfect with maps either nobody is but you know, right. Google, like like so many things, Google got where it is by buying somebody who was good at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or less bad at it than them. Right. <laughs> I, I'm just, I can't, right. I can't think of the, the series of steps that would suddenly cause the ocean to move in a map. I mean, it could have, could literally have been as simple as a one turning into a 10. Um, you know, a key, a key change, sure. a, a typo error, or, you know, a, a one becoming an 11. And suddenly we flooded Los Angeles. It's a good thing that they don't actually control the world like they want to. Yeah. At least not yet. Because when Google Tides beta comes out um, and they're actually <laughs> programming the tides, I mean, this this could actually happen and that, that would be a very bad thing. Well, just think of, all the, think of all the hackers that would love to have that ability to be able to control <laughs> yeah. tides. Come on now. That that's that's, guarantees that they're going to take after it. Is that science fiction or is that fantasy? The world may never know. Um, yeah, or is it science fiction to today, historical fiction tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to uh, passwords once again are being attacked. Uh, particularly if you were an Addis- Ashley Madison user, apparently people didn't use good passwords on the site where they tried to hook up with married people. 
Yeah. Um, you know, of course, once that database of username and passwords were out there, they ran standard password cracking tools and the top 10 passwords, one, two, three, four, five, six, followed by one, two, three, four, five, followed by password, followed by capital default, all in caps. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's, <laughs> those are, those are the top five passwords of Ashley Madison. And, you know, I think if you're going to use a password like that, you kind of deserve to be hacked. Um, you know, <laughs> so it's just, um, you know, you can click on here. Some of the passwords are, you know, not family friendly. And because of the kind of site it is, though, they do make sense. But some of the passwords are just ridiculously simple that anybody, anybody would know not to do that. I think yeah, if so. Yeah. The the password one two three four five six was used by one hundred twenty thousand five hundred eleven people. Wow, that's just the password one two three four five, which comes in second, was used by forty eight thousand. So nearly three times as many people went ahead and added that extra six to get real security. Right. <laughs> wow. It's you know the the some of the technology needs to change for authentication. Passwords just don't work anymore. No one I cares. do that though. When when I don't care about a website, I will use a password one two three four five six. I will do that if it's if I'm signing up for you know uh, to read an article on a news site or something like that. There's no credit card attached to it. They just make me sign in. If on on our forum, for example, my uh, you know if you set up a password on our forum of four five six seven eight. That would be fine because there's there's nothing to protect there. All you're protecting is things that are public anyway. So, right. you know, it doesn't really bother me so much that a lot of people use simple passwords on a site where they never expected for there to be real data. Uh, but as I understand, I don't know anything about Ashley Madison, but I'm pretty sure there were credit cards involved here. So if you're using that kind of password on a site and giving them your credit card number, well, that's just a whole different kind of dumb. Well, and it's pretty much the way it worked. 120,511 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. People are So, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, it, it's nothing we haven't talked about before. Just a little bit of password haystacking is all it would take to make all those passwords, yes. you know, very hard to crack. So. And in the same line, lest the mobile, uh, you know, we, we know that the world is going mobile. Uh, so why not take ransomware mobile too? Of course. Yeah, there was um, LockerPin, which is a ransomware that will steal your pin and lock your Android device permanently. The only way, to, you know, you can reset your phone, but um, it was just kind of unusual because this was like the first really kind of widespread, you know, ransomware, you know, you've heard of the crypto locker thing, the, hey, if you want to access your phone, it's going to cost you, you know, a bit point, a bit coin or some paypal or something like that so they've just added it for um for um mobile devices now so for the gnu linux slash android out there it has finally hit and uh there's ransomware you know a good backup backing up your things and not side loading apps you know this didn't come off of a something through the google play store came off of a different side loaded app so a standard security principles we've talked about before would have mitigated this but it's out there 
All right. And the next thing I have to do just because Seth is here um, and he is so in love with this operating system, Jala, Hala, whatever, you may, you might know him better as Migo may finally actually see the light of day. Well, no, actually, oh uh, which one are you doing? Did I skip it? No, you're doing the... Can Jala continue to sell, or is it about to collide with the yeah, that one. Yeah, no, the co-founder, uh, Mark Dillon, has oh, I, left. I, sorry, I, I remembered the article incorrectly. Oh, yeah, no, he has actually departed from the entire Selfish Project. So, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Usually when the co-founder leaves this early, it ain't pretty. So, you know... I know I tried, I signaled the death knell whenever I liked Migo, um, but it survived that and has been limping through history. Um, it kind of rolled up into Jala and now the co-founders leave. I'm still waiting on my tablet that I, uh, did the, uh, I don't remember if it, no, it wasn't Indiegogo. It was the, whatever the <laughs> yes. other is. What, Kickstarter. What, what was the name yeah. of that? Uh, it was selfish. Um, yes. but uh, I don't remember the name of the actual tablet cause I'm still waiting on it, but I ain't got it yet. So, I don't know. And this is following. It's in the mail. They've, yeah. They've split between a hardware and a software company. And now the co-founder and frontman has left. So, the Selfish is looks like it's headed towards the uh, reefs of reality. Bummer. How, how many times does it have to die? And it doesn't. It hasn't died. It's just finally one of the last people who cared about it doesn't anymore. So, Seth, uh, there's an opening. For CEO, there you go. Yeah, I, I could be CEO. You know, I'm I'm good at killing stuff. So if y'all want it to die, you give me appointed CEO, and we'll have that thing shut down by the end of the year. And and your your whole interview could be, I've supported you for five years. Yeah, yeah. I loved you since Migo. Yeah, and and they would be like, <laughs> oh, you're hired because you're the guy. You're the one. You clearly care about this more than our founder. So you're in. Yeah, See? and Done. and the other three diehard supporters would run shrieking whenever they heard me. I'm sure, but yeah, you know that would be, <laughs> we should make that a show. I should uh, I should send them an email asking to be the new CEO of the company. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> just just write it. I understand through recent news that you're in need of a new co-founder position. Let me tell you about my great love for Miko. So you could really put it over the top if you got a tattoo. Of the Migo. Oh, there you logo. go. Well, no, I'll I'm just link to the uh, to the distro review I did of it. Yeah. You know, back in yeah. time, I clearly I'm not a flash in the pan. Yeah. I've loved you forever. It's and, the uh, one Linux distro Seth has ever reviewed. Actually, yeah, it is that that <laughs> I, I was passionate about it. I was willing to suffer, and I have. Darn you, Migo. All right, so this next one is on a different vein, but it uh, it made me mad. Um, when I saw this, you know, those little tiles in the new, on the front page of Firefox where you, they show your last browsed page. Well, now they show your last browsed pages and whoever paid them to do it. Oh. Yeah. If we've talked about the tiles, uh, coming before and, you know, and it's kind of, you can turn them off, uh, but they show your recent history and then based on your recent history, they kind of show ads that they might think you like. Well, they have actually found some partners and, um, who was it? I can't even find the first one here. Uh, oh, the EFF was one of the first partners of the, uh, 
to sign up and join like the tile program. I don't even know if that's exactly what they're calling it, but you know, you got to think about it. They aren't making $240 million a year anymore off their partnership with Google for search. So they've got to do something about the money and, you know, open source people pay lots for games, but when it comes to other things, boy, we are cheap as can be. So we're not going to pay for our operating system. We're not going to pay for our web browser. We want a full feature rich web browser that's continually developed that cost us no money or time. So, you know, I don't, I don't understand do your point, Seth. What's wrong with that? Why, why wouldn't you want a fully featured thing that costs nothing? Because how else would you complain about it when it doesn't work exactly the way you think it should? Hey, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, no, you know, it's one of those things. They've got to do something for money. And, you know, I could, I haven't really faulted them for this because I've given, I've added it up. I've went back and I've searched my records and every since, Firefox, before it was Firefox, the sum total amount I've given them is $0. That's so, not true, Seth. Every time you've done a Google search using the toolbar in Firefox, you have given them a fraction of a penny. Okay, but I've never yep. used the toolbar. I always go to Google and search. So I've given them nothing, literally. Wow. So you don't use the, the Google launch page or the toolbar at the top right corner of the screen? Nope. I do, you always uh, type Google.com? I do Control T. G enter and since I've been to Google once, control T is a new tab. G starts Google.com, enter brings up the window, and then I type what is a stupid search or some random search. You That's are how- an odd duck, man. Really? Why yeah. would you do that when the tool is right there? You could cut those down to no one click. Click in the box. Or because I want to get a new tab and I was doing that since before you could use the awesome bar for that. So <laughs> of muscle I, memory. Okay. I am not going to change just because of innovation. <laughs> yeah, you don't even need the G anymore. Control T, then type your query. You get Google and you give them a, a fraction of a penny. Sorry, control wow. T G enter. It's <laughs> <laughs> what I do. <laughs> Nice. I, you not, know, I've not given them anything. So <laughs> okay. So you're the you're the guy. But you know, face it, I haven't given them just tons of money using right. my search queries. But I do feel that I've given them something, right? So there, it's not fair to say that I have totally been a slacker. Um, however, um, I haven't. Trying to think back, I don't think I've sent them any cash ever. So, you know, did did we weren't they one of the? Did we do it with a month of our stuff? Maybe. I don't remember. I'll have to go back and look. Uh, not, but, we yeah. need to before they die. So <laughs> so, so we that, can put the nail in the coffin? Is that the idea? Yeah. So we're going to talk about this next week, uh, about how um, the browser, the fact that the browser is the new operating system in many ways is bad for the web, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, for now, I'm going to say that, you know, we talk about uh, gaming on Linux, right? We did a whole show. We're, we're, we're cool now. We don't have to talk about it again for a long time. But for all those people who say that you can't find any games on Linux, Valve's got you covered with a whopping number. Yes, yeah, they're up a pretty to big over number. 1,500 games that uh, are supported on Linux now. You know, there are approximately 6,500 in their library, and they've got 1500 of them are now supported on Linux. So, you know, that number is growing. They finally reached it. I'm sure they're going to continue to reach it, especially as they transition into a Linux distroed OS. 
So a little quick math there. That's about 22% of their catalog, um, which is mm-hmm. uh, you know not a huge number, but considering it represents about 1% of their desktop client, um, I'd say that's pretty solid numbers there, guys. Yeah, I would say yeah. so too. And it's a growing number, so. Yeah. Yep. It's probably at least Congratulations. by now. So, you know, the, there, there are two things that you need to make that happen um, if you're at Valve, right? So you need game developers, and you need developers who know this whole Linux thing. Well, I can't help you with the, the first one, but I can help you with the second one with our friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com. If you want to learn how to do Linux, that's their stated objective. That's what they do. They want to take you from being a, a, a moderate computer user uh, maybe not a full novice, but a, a guy who is fluent in computers, but not so good on this whole Linux thing, and they'll help you out the, by the way of their step-by-step video courses and uh, and their PDF study guides. But it's so more than just much more than just Linux. So I I told you that I've been working on this whole S3 thing in Amazon uh, for my new website. Well, I I uh, needed to uh, brush up my skills a little bit there, and the Linux Academy was the first place I thought because they have a whole bunch of stuff for Amazon Web Services as well. So they're more than just Linux. They have uh, they have um, Ruby. Uh, we, we've talked about that before. Their their yep. cloud stuff. Uh, the 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 name is built right into the to to the the title, right? Linux. But just like this show, it's not just about Linux. It's about so much more. Um, and as I've already said, the step-by-step video courses, this amazing lab infrastructure that I just really can't get enough of, where you get four different virtual machines running on Amazon's cloud infrastructure, so they're lightning fast. Um, and it's a safe environment where you can do you know, your experimentation, you can break things, you can make things, uh, and it's all safe. There's the, the, the tools that they give you to, to – wow – my brain just froze up. The tools they could give you to track your learning, the the lesson browser, the the ability to make your own learning plan, the uh, the community. There's so much more than I can tell you in just a few minutes about this thing. But the the most important thing that I can tell you is that when I needed to learn something, my first thought was LinuxAcademy.com, and I went there because uh, not only is their content high quality, but I know that the people are high quality. Those are two things that I look for when I bring a, a, a an audience or a, a, a advertiser to our audience, and I found them both in spades. There, they're good people, and they put it to put together a good product, and totally affordable. Twenty five dollars a month is the most you can pay. If you just buy one month straight up, it's twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars for unlimited access for a month to all of their videos, all of their study guides, all of their lab infrastructure, all of their forums, all of their uh, interaction with other students and and with the teachers themselves, all for twenty five dollars. That's a bargain anywhere, right? But that's the most you can pay. If you want to buy more, just like anything else, the more you buy, uh, buy the less you pay. So if you buy uh, three months worth, it's only $65 instead of the 75 If you buy for a year, the annual thing, it's $215 for the year, which is somewhere around $18 uh, a month. $18 a month for essentially uh, the tools necessary to start a new life. The bargain isn't a good enough word to describe that. But when you go yeah, no there kidding. and when you use the code Everyday Linux to let them know that we sent you, you'll get a special rate even over that. So check them out, linuxacademy.com. Use the code Everyday Linux. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, we've said it before. It, the The technology world is wide open if you want to get into it. And if you want to get into it and have a future, 
getting started in Linux. Again, a month on the Linux Academy isn't going to get you a six-figure salary, but it can lay the foundation that will get you a six-figure salary if you continue to grow in it. All right, and continuing our discussion on security and people who make mistakes, uh, let's add Cisco to that list now as they had an administrative backdoor they forgot to turn off, and more and more of those are turning oh, up uh, as people look for them. Yeah, it's called Sinful Knock, um, S-Y-N for the, um, I can't remember what that's short for. Sin. Sin, that's, sin that's it. and acknowledgement. Right. Sinac. Mm-hmm. So um, they have found a total of 79 more devices, like 25 of them are in the U.S. And what if you send these, um, they're kind of non-standard uh, IP packets, but if you send them in a specific way, it then asks for a password that's hard-coded into the system. And this company, um, FireEye, they, they basically scanned the entire internet looking for them and they would send the, uh, they would send the code and then listen for a response. And if they got the response, they would then send something to shut down the connection so they didn't enter it in. But they found a total of 79 of these routers. And so here you are, you think you've secured the network. You know, you, you've found the Linux Academy or um, Linux.com's checklist for hardening your servers. You're all up to date with your patches and then come to find out, you know, your Cisco router has been compromised and you're serving up, I, I don't know, fish porn or something stupid. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, and you didn't do anything wrong. Cisco did something wrong because they left a back door for testing in and forgot to close it. Maybe it was an honest mistake. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's an unreported flaw that hacked the router and updated the firmware. But it's weird because it has the exact same it's the exact same size as the regular Cisco image. So um, that a lot of people think it is, you know, a backdoor Cisco didn't close as opposed to a nefarious state-sponsored attack. Um, and the numbers are low, 79 devices, not 79 device types, but 79 times they've found, they've, they've knocked the secret knock and gotten somebody to, to say, come on in if you want to. So those aren't huge numbers, but it does show it's not just an isolated thing on some guy mm-hmm. who hacked his firmware. It's out but, there. But 79 isn't nothing either because exactly. it, this isn't a switch that, you know, there's probably 400 in your little two foot by two foot cubicle. This is like a core router that like the internet runs on level type stuff. And so 79 of these, all it takes is one to infect your entire network. So if one of these is in AT&T's network, then their entire network is compromised from the inside. And that's millions of devices. So if one of these is in IBM's network, then IBM is compromised. If one of these is in Cisco's network, then Cisco's network is compromised. And every router they produce from that point on is compromised. So again, this isn't the sky is falling don't ever use the computer again. Uh, you know, let's go back to pigeons or anything like that. But 79 is not nothing either. So, right. yeah. So these are like to Seth's point, these aren't things that you're going to have in your house. So if that no, were the case, like the, like the Linksys fault, uh, uh, the, the Linksys fault that was found a while back, uh, there would be millions to billions of those. But this, there aren't, there probably isn't a market for billions of these devices, but there's a market for more than 79. So right. it's that what that tells you is it's probably not 
a blatant malicious uh you know chinese manufacturer inserting their code to try to because it would be more spread than that but it is it is something that is problematic and fire i got in a little bit of trouble uh for this uh, they had to defend themselves in court saying that what we were doing is not malicious it still falls under the use of of uh you know discovery and mm-hmm. their defense for that was that we are not entering the devices we we entered a device we own and then we discuss, we looked for ways to enter other devices um goes into that whole uh ethical hacking versus legal hacking yep. thing uh they got in a little trouble about it but i think they've done us a service well uh, as well the problem is at this point there doesn't seem to be any way to fix it or at least not that i've heard yeah i mean it it's, will take it's a bad bad thing that's for sure i, I guess it's going to take an update to hey, see here's a weird thing cisco's uh, software was called iOS before there was an iOS. So they're going to have to update their iOS uh, to close it somehow. Right. Um, either that or send everybody a new router because it's hard-coded in somewhere. One of the two. Yeah, if it's in a chip, if it's in copper, the it would be very difficult to fix it with software. It's possible, but difficult. Right. Uh, and and mm-hmm. not something that's going to happen quickly. Um. All right, moving yeah, it's, on. Uh, it's ripping, replacing stuff then. Right. Expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of expensive, that was lame. Sorry. Uh, Bitcoin is now officially recognized as a commodity. That's a big deal. Really? Yeah. Um, it's uh, the America wasn't the first company or the, the first country to do this, but the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission has ordered that Bitcoin be treated as an official commodity and regulated accordingly. So, you know, that gives it legitimacy in not only in the eyes of the government, but you get into banking eyes and stuff like that. So, of course, nobody did this so that they could legitimize it. They did it so they could tax it. Right. Uh, But you had to recognize it to be able to tax it. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. And so I don't know. I guess... You know, can I still set up a miner and mine for bitcoins? And sure. what what happens if I find one? You know, now that it's an official commodity, uh, I guess I'm going to go. You know, maybe the Pawn Stars and say, "Hey, I've got a bitcoin on this flash drive. What will you give me yeah. for it?" Well, so. since it's <laughs> still completely anonymous, uh, there's no way that they could know you're a U.S. citizen. Uh, so there, it it's it's going to be a difficult thing to make use of it. But the first step is recognizing, okay, this isn't a flash in the pan. This isn't Dogecoin coin. This is something that people are actually using. Um, so yeah. it uh it it bears, you know, it it mo- makes me think more along the lines of of uh the future, right? If we have if we have an internet currency that is recognized internationally but has no nationality. What are the next steps, right? So what what are the next things? Is there going to be a body of law that is recognized internationally but has no nationality? Is as Seth put in his show title, is this the birth of an inter, an online nation? A, a cyber nation? Yeah. You remember when we um it's been what a couple of years ago and what was the future of the internet gonna look like? And you talked about, you know, there would be this the the city of Facebook and the city of Google Plus and all those. I mean, mm-hmm. is that the next step that you have? You have to declare your citizenship, and uh, if you wow. use Facebook, you're going to have to pay a tax to be able to interface with somebody who uses Google, and you have to go through some specific portal for you to see each other anymore. What um, was 
what was that movie? I've, I'm blanking on it where everybody was a, 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 a thing, right? They were either brave and they were cops or they were yeah, doctors. The, the, the divergent? Divergent. So yeah, divergent. Is, yep. is, is there going to be a divergence for, you know, for I'm a, I'm a Googler? And I belong to Point at Google, and and I have to declare that at age thirteen, and I can never go back. And if my parents, if they're <laughs> Facebookers, then we're split up because I'm a Googler and they're a Facebooker. Right. So you That's know, you could just be arch and roam the wastelands. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know. So what this is, it's kind of, you know, there's lots of stuff that happens from day to day, and it's not a big deal. But I think in the future events like this will be looked back upon has the birth of something right the seminal moments yeah i don't mm-hmm. know what that's going to look like but um i i think it's kind of weird so th- the rise of cyber nations started today uh we, we coined it first here cyber nations that's like an it. edl exclusive that's right and you get your own cyber currency and your own yep. cyber citizenship and your own cyber tax code um, and, and it doesn't and, and matter where you are, where you live, right? So I'm an home. American. <laughs> I can be an American and go to Australia. I'm still an American bound by American laws. So if I become uh, a member of a cyber nation, it won't matter where I live. I'm bound by right. the laws of the cyber nation. Fan, fan, amazing thing to think about. But uh, that is wow. a very interesting thing. Hmm. So there'll be like troll nation, and if you if you're you know, and there's pedantic nation. Uh, <laughs> in literal net nation yes the literal net i like it um we we've we could found the, our factions right here yeah the snob nation i mean the apple nation one of the right. two yeah. so uh the so if you've nation. ever been to a chinese restaurant you know on their their little placemats they put in front of you they have the year of the rat and the year of the dragon and the year of the horse well apparently it's the year of the linux in china Woo-hoo! yes the linux year of the linux desktop has finally arrived we've been proclaiming it for um, prognosticating it for years but apparently in china it's here um dell has told um basically um they told the wall street journal that the neoclin linux which was based on the thing that ubuntu developed with china it ships on 42 percent of the pcs it, sh- it sells in that country so 42 percent of the computers dell sells in china come with linux on them because they've sort of, uh, in word if not indeed, outlawed Windows there. So no government official uh, places can have Windows. No nobody who does business with the government can have Windows. So you know what's your choice? Uh, Linux it is. And so yeah, forty percent mm-hmm. of of computers that Dell sells, that, right. that that's not everybody, um, are Linux. That's a that is going to change things, right? China has a billion people, and if that becomes yeah. a billion Linux users, then we may still be one percent in the U.S. But we're going to be a big part of the world, right? And uh, we'll become we'll become celebrities in China. Oh, the other day <laughs> well, Linux podcast, I loved them. Yeah, no more and, bacon though. I disappointed. So. Oh no, so. pork is the number one source of protein in China. They're all about the bacon. Well, but yeah, but we haven't been about the bacon here for quite a while. <laughs> That's true. So. Okay. So we're we're actually letting our our global audience down by not talking about enough bacon. Don't worry, I've got a fix for that coming next week. 
If you've missed, Ooh. this is a big market tease. If you've missed the baking content on EDL, tune in next week. Tell everybody who's fallen away. We welcome them back with open arms and a boat. Well, we can't because our arms will be full of bacon. Oh, coming wow. next week. Wow. What a tease. <laughs> so just yesterday, Saturday after, uh, Saturday morning, my wife was making breakfast for the family. She opened the fridge and she said, I've got two pounds of bacon here. Should I just cook them both? And I was like, well, duh. Sure. So between two adults, one a teenager, and two smallest children, we ate two pounds of bacon. There is no such thing as leftover bacon. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how much you make. You cannot make enough bacon that there will be leftover bacon. I mean, you should just oh, roll yes. your eyes at her and said, that's a stupid question. Woman. <laughs> yeah, it was like, my thinking was, why did you only buy two pounds? Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's a travesty. We're down to two pounds of bacon. We must remedy that now. Yeah, I mean, yeah two pounds is the emergency ration. <laughs> we should have 50 pounds, you know, as our regular stock because, you know, two pounds, that was a meal, right? And yeah, now no what? Kidding. Now there's no more bacon. What are we going to have for lunch, honey? Um, you know, it was, oh, we had to have a What a fail. <laughs> Not as big oh. a fail as buying a car for yourself on your wife's birthday, but that would kind of fall <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And if I had pressed the bacon issue, that would have come up, I assure you. Uh, I'm sure it would have. <laughs> Why didn't you buy two Jeeps on my birthday? Um, this one, I don't even know how to handle this one. It's a Linux show uh, topic. It's a Disney topic. It's a, It's a Twilight Zone topic. Disney is making a Linux light bulb. A yes, um, light bulb. VLC is no longer solely the realm of media player. It now stands for visible light communication. And Disney is researching on using light. So you have kind of Li-Fi as opposed to Wi-Fi to communicate with the Internet of Things. So, you know, whenever you go to the Disney store store to outfit your daughter's room in Disney stuff, and it all comes with these little photo electric sensing chips on there you can program them with an arduino probably a raspberry pi or there'll be some app for your iphone or google play in the near future or there'll probably be a disney version of linux coming around the corner with this built in but you can mickey linux yeah oh there you go uh, but they can't make money off of it so they would never do that yeah no no they would because it would put other people out of business so they would be running ears 2.0 and and tail (laughs) 1.5 Right. You said the arch, you would have the arches. So, um, sorry. <laughs> Golden, that, yes. that one was bad. But yes. Um, and so it's a way to, um, kind of communicate your internet of things can communicate and not necessarily over Wi-Fi. So they would simply need line of sight, but they wouldn't need, you know, so it could be kind of like this mesh network that gets created and, you know, and, and imagine- that makes perfect sense, right? So yeah. all of your lights right now are blinking at a rate in the U S of 60 Hertz, 60 times per second, mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, AC current vibrates that much in the, in the Europe, I think it's 50. I don't know what it is elsewhere. Uh, but, there's no reason for it to stay at 60 cycles per second when it's uh, like, for example, I'm looking at a, an LED light that I have in here now. Um, it's it's a DC light that's powered by AC. So there's a transformer in there and there's a microchip. So there's no reason that you couldn't have it beep at, you know, 5.1 megahertz and send encoded frequencies over light, which is if you've ever hooked up um, a uh, fiber optic link 
That's exactly what it, it's SOS at literally light speed, or Morse code rather at literally light speed. So mm-hmm. uh, when any that's all a fiber optic connection is. So all the technology is there. We're just broadcasting that all over. And so anything that can see the light or it can be bounced off, if you can see it, if it's lit up, you can communicate with it. It's a brilliant idea, and I'm surprised nobody's done it sooner. Yeah, and you know, I want I don't know what the uh, data transmission rate of it would be limited to, but you know, you could sync. There's all, you know, they're looking at it right now specifically for toys and in their demonstration, they like had this tablet control this Jeep using it and it kind of went over and then the tablet changed colors and, uh, somebody who had a princess dress, they changed the colors on it because it had what they had wearable LEDs on it. So, and again, I don't know how well this would work for communication and, you know, like watching Netflix over it might not stand up, but for the internet of things that grows up around your house can now be done, uh, over visible light. Um, and they're doing it using open WRT, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. So now how are you going to protect somebody from hacking in and having, you know, your things flash in red and black and have the tinfoil, literal tinfoil on your windows is the way to protect from this now. It's no longer a tinfoil hat. It is literal tinfoil over your windows so that they can't shine a light in. Yeah. And uh, it's tinfoil sunglasses. (laughs) It's perfect. So, so now now a cop, when he walks up to your car with his flashlight and shines it in your face, can actually be reading the data off of your electronics in your car with his smart flashlight. Ooh, that sounds spooky. <laughs> Could you imagine what that would be like? I, my mind always goes to the dark places. I don't know why. But yeah, I mean, there's, if, if, you, if you can do this on an AC-powered light hanging in, the, in a room, why couldn't you do it on a, on a portable flashlight? And so you yeah. could, you know, you now have a new way of communicating that is optically transparent, uh, but you know, and and wow, what a what a weird idea. Yeah, because yeah. you can even go so, into the ultraviolet spectrum, and then you wouldn't even be able to see it. So you're driving down the road on a dark night, and you're a a jerk or b forgetful and you've got your bright lights on and a car is coming ahead using this technology the car ahead could communicate with your car and tell it to dim the lights so that you it don't could. blind the driver that's amazing <laughs> for someone who drives you know hours every night to get you know to go wherever that would be a lifesaver i don't know how many times i've been half blinded because of somebody who forgot to turn down their lights I just came up with that. Somebody patent that quickly. No kidding. (laughs) I'm sure Ford would be all over that in about half a second if you figured out how to make it cheap. All right. And this next one is, I I had to check to make sure it wasn't April 1st, but there is, Microsoft Linux is a thing. Yeah. An actual Linux distro made by and for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, It'll probably be pretty good because, you know, Microsoft originally did software for other people's stuff, but what they've developed is a version of Linux, but it's called the Azure Cloud Switch. And so it's going to be primarily used in their cloud offering, which is Azure. And it's a way to, um, 
It's kind of a cross-platform modular operating system for data-centric networking built on Linux. So it's not really a typical consumer-grade thing for you to fire up and say, I'm using it, but it's a way for them to like kind of test software, debug it, and things like that. So, so what this means is that Microsoft's own products suck so much that they can't use them internally. They couldn't much. use Windows at least, Server on at this. Least on their, I was going to say, at least on their big irons. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and that doesn't surprise. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Linux in the server room is the crown king of Big Iron. So why does that surprise anyone that Microsoft is using Linux for their Big Iron? I I felt a disturbance in the force, as if Bill Gates was crying out and then suddenly silenced. I mean, first Mark Cockrell <laughs> agrees with Richard Stallman, and now Microsoft develops Linux. I, I don't know what kind of world we're living in. <laughs> Dogs and, and cats living the, together, cats, pandemonium. Yep. It's basically the my, worst parts of the old peanut testament. Peanut with my chocolate and chocolate with my peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't... Wow. I, I seriously, I had to think, is this a joke? Is this an April Fool's joke? Is this some, what, why would they do that? But no, the, the, the amazing thing is not that they did it, but that they did a press release about it. Remember, Seth, you'll remember this. When they bought Hotmail, it was running on Linux and they kept uh -huh. it running on Linux um, until somebody did a news story about it. And then suddenly they, they stopped responding to version requests and then the site got way crappy. And so we all assume they were running on Windows now. But this was totally the other way around. They were very open. The new Microsoft is transparent and open. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, frankly. <laughs> it's a little spooky, isn't it? It makes you kind of step back and go, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like when it, it's like when the Berlin Wall fell and suddenly the Russians were our friends. You don't know what to trust. You're like, really? I've been told my whole life that you're double dealing, and now you're telling me you're open on it and honest? That's how I feel about Microsoft. I've been told my whole life that you're a bunch of lying scumbags, and now you have this new uh, policy of openness and transparency? I, I don't I don't know how to handle that. I've got to come up with all new <laughs> shtick now. So <laughs> that's how it impacts me. I mean, forget about the world. I've got to come up with new shtick. So. Yeah. I mean, that's... Can you imagine how Linux uh, Linus Torvalds felt about this? I mean, he. Oh, I bet you he just went what? That whole blank face, deer in the headlight look, going. No, you're fooling. He had to have been like that. He just had to have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's he said a long time ago when Microsoft starts making code for Linux, I win. He just won because they didn't yep. just write a software for Linux. They're using Linux in their own in-house stuff uh, because it's better. That's that's amazing, and it's not GNU slash Linux. It's Microsoft slash Linux. That's the amazing thing. GNU slash Linux featuring Microsoft. Come on, that's <laughs> yeah. Um, encrypted ladders in the chat room is saying that he read that Windows would go open source. I no pigs will fly before that happens. Yeah, I I was actually really surprised that they were willing to do the free upgrade for a year. For everybody running from seven and up. Oh, I mean, well, I, we didn't talk about it, but they started downloading that stuff to people's computers. Whether you wanted it or not. Yes. In case yep. you, and I had to, luckily I didn't have enough free space on my tablet for it to fit, but I was like, ooh. And so I had to go and delete those two, um, updates and then not show them again. So they wouldn't, but. Yeah, I, I I took the up, uh, upgrade to Microsoft to uh, to Windows 10, and what I noticed, I got my first update 
today. And with, you know, Windows uh, 7 and 8, it would pop up and say, you know, there's a new update. Would you like it? Windows 10 didn't give me that option. We have, there's an update. We're going to restart in 10 seconds. Um, you're used to seeing that in corporate IT environments, but yep. that's now the default setting on a Windows box. Well, we're going to download it. We're going to do it. On a uh, on a home Windows in the corporate environment, yeah. uh, the professional version will still have the "Do you want to install it?" Yeah, and I'm sure that that's an option, right? I could go in the control panel, but for you know, no, no, that's not an option. In the home version, you will update now. Thank you. Now I'm sure really? that there's a th- there's a registry switch I can flip somewhere. Oh, there's got to yeah, be probably. There uh, has to but, be if it, if corporate IT is still allowed to delay, there'll be it's got to be there somewhere in the home version. It's just natural. Yeah, and so, but I think that's a good thing. I really, I'm, I'm for that. Now, I don't like, I hate being, uh, I'm doing something, and a box pops up and says your computer's going to restart in ten minutes, whether you like it or not. Uh, I, you know, that happens in the corporate world all the time. I'm in the middle of a project. I've got a spreadsheet with a thousand tabs open. I'm doing sixteen things, and it pops up. We've just installed new software. Your computer is rebooting now. Ah, quick, save. You know, um, <laughs> but I, I, I allow that. Uh, for that in the corporate IT environment. I don't want that at home. And uh, right. with I think it was Vista that started it in 7. You could postpone it for a couple of hours, but it, it would never go away. You could never say, don't update until the next time I reboot. Well, now the default is, we're rebooting. We're rebooting. Save your stuff. You don't have a choice in the matter. Um, and I don't like it, but I also recognize that it's a good thing. There, there will never be... Um, billions of unsecured windows machines anymore that's microsoft's goal here and i think it's right. a laudable goal but as an advanced user it sure is frustrating yep us advanced users are paying the price for everybody else out there well that that's why we go to linux and so we don't have to worry about it <laughs> but then we have camera problems right mark <laughs> <laughs> i don't even want to go there <laughs> All right, so uh, Encrypted Ladders in the chat room has pointed me to a, a news article on CNET.com that says a Microsoft engineer says it's, quote, definitely possible that Microsoft could go open source. Um, sure, I believe that this is a true story. An engineer said that, but that engineer has no authority. I'm sure of that. Um, I, I, I just can't see a world where that would happen. Of course, I couldn't see a world where Microsoft would create a Linux distro either. So uh, go figure. Right. The world just gets stranger and stranger. Yeah, you never know. But someday, this Linux show might actually be talking about Linux. That would be weird. Oh, my goodness. that uh, That's a heart attack. Don't know. Too, too much change. Too much change. <laughs> All right. And I, I completely skipped over Seth's This Week in History last week because I was so flustered. So I'm going to make sure we do it this week. So, Seth, what happened this week? in history well we talked about them in the newscast earlier so september the 23rd 2002 um 13 years ago this week the first public version of the web browser mozilla firefox known as phoenix point one is released that happened this week in history i downloaded that sucker and used it i remember I that did well. too i loved phoenix i kind of wish they would have kept it because the icon was really cool well, they kind of turned that into the Thunderbird icon, but mm-hmm. then changed that again too. Uh, cool. That it seems like longer ago to me than just 2002, but that was 13 years. I mean, that that was the year my oldest child is born was born, and she's about to turn 13. Uh, wow, <laughs> I'm old. Just made you feel really old all of a sudden, it didn't did. it? It did. Um, 
And I, I, I quick side note, um, I, I talked last week about the fact that we that we're going to be changing the show name, uh, and I had some ideas. Uh, an idea that uh, the guys and I were talking about before the show. I need your help with it. Um, is I think I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say how sure I am that we're doing this, but one idea that we're playing with right now is just calling the show EDL. That's it. And the E, the D, and the L stand for things. So the E will, I'm thinking entertainment, and the L is for life. I need a good D word. Um, you know, data, digital, discussions, d- d- donuts, uh, discovery. Donuts. Yeah. I so like donuts. The, yeah, the, the current one is it'll be EDL dash entertainment period, discovery period, life period. Uh, the idea is there to, to give people an idea of what we talk about, right? So help me out, guys. Give me your EDL things. What do you want the E, the D, and the L to stand for? They need to tell people. If you're looking at, you're in the, in the iTunes store or whatever, and you're looking at the show title, you need to know from those three words exactly what we just did here for the last hour and a half. That's a tall order, but that's what I'm looking for. So help me out. I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. I need you. Together, we're all smart enough. Um, Together, none of us, um, how, how does it go? Uh, none of us are as dumb as all of us. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was one of the classic demotivator yeah. posters out there. So one of, when I do training for people, uh, one, one of the parts of my job is I go on site for, you know, a couple of weeks and I'm training them on the software and they're always, when I'm, when I'm about to leave, they're always panicking. We don't know what to do. And what I always tell them is that no one of you knows everything about your job, but all of you together know everything about your job so right now i'm drawing on the wisdom of the crowd help me out with the an e a d and an l and uh, so send me an email um about this uh encrypted letters is throwing stuff in the chat room that's useful but it will be forgotten in about 48 seconds so throw them in an email uh go to elementop.com click the contact us button and and do that uh or you know if you want to uh uh, have your own voice you could uh, call 559 imop and leave us a google voice message and we'll do that there so that's how to contact us. I look forward to your thoughts on that and on the, everything else that we, we do. We we, uh, we only had a couple of things this week. I like it when we can do lots of good listener feedback. feedback. So help us out with that. And having said all of that, Seth, it's time for you to close the show. Bring it home, brother. All right. Well, even though we didn't put a pin in it, I want to circle back around to our earlier discussion on science fiction. This is a YouTube video and I thought it was hilarious when I came across it. Um, it is a press conference from the architect of the Death Star from Star Trek. It's kind of 8-bit animation, but I think it's hilarious. It's about 2 minutes and 43 seconds. Um, if you like this show, you will love this. All right. I'm watching it now, but it's not helping me because I can't hear it. And like you said, it's 8-bit graphics. But I love the fact that there are people shooting lasers at him, and he's perfectly safe because, of course, none of those people can hit anything. Weren't they supposed to be clones of, like, the super soldier? That super soldier really needed some target practice. No kidding. Yep. Well, the cloning just wasn't perfected. So uh, that was – they actually only – they got they got a rebate on those batches because of how bad the clones were off. So you know, even in the future, nothing works. So have President you seen Scrooge said that the recent MythBusters episode where they tested whether you could dodge a, a light uh, a blaster laser? No, I haven't. Yeah, you have to check no, I that seen out. That one. Uh, they they you know because uh, all over the show people 
Um, <laughs> people, uh, the chat room. No, you just you just broke me. No, I'm not going to repeat that. Um, so, you know, you see guys running uh, from the lasers or ducking out of the way. And so they were like, these things appear to be moving pretty slow. So in true Mythbuster style, they broke Brown down the frame, uh, the film frame by frame and figured out how fast the things were traveling. And then they built something that travels that fast and then tried to dodge it. And I won't spoil you on how it how it ends, but uh, I love that. That's the only kind of things that they can do. Uh, the kind of things that only the Mythbusters can do and be safe. Safe, safe from safe from ridicule. You know, anybody else who would try to do that would be ridiculed. But the MythBusters do it, and they're applauded. Me, right, me included. Yep. I applauded them because it was funny. Well, that's typical for them. You know, that's that's kind of their shtick. Yes. They can get away with just about anything. That show has been as it blows up like twelve years now, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's a great show. I I highly encourage you to go check out MythBusters. It's a new thing. Maybe you haven't heard about it. um that's it that's all we got for you Uh, a whole bunch of good news stories and and trust me that wasn't all of them uh but we'll have more next week we hope to have more of your feedback but you got to go send that feedback and we'll have more of chris and seth and maybe a little bit more of me but uh we look forward to uh hanging out with you next time chris seth as always thanks for being the excellent show host that you are you listener thank you for being the excellent listener that you are chat room thanks for um, being almost entirely silent. Uh, uh, we, Mark, we record, by the way, I've, Sunday I've, nights at around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And you should check it out live at elementopi.com. Seth? We are going to have an interview in two weeks. Um, just another little tease. Um, we hadn't talked about that at all. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and it's an interview with uh, the... With a podcast, with another podcast. So, wow, we're really breaking all the rules here. Podcasts aren't supposed to talk to other podcasts, but we're doing it. So, uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, check it out. Uh, we love having you live here. Uh, you can also uh, watch it later on the Hangouts, but, or just, you know, wherever you're getting it now. But if you'd like to hang out with, uh, with us live, we would appreciate it. So, but having said all that, I'm going to say that's it for this week. And that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.